Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com What's up, everyone? It's 2 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon, which means you're tuning in to Cannabis Legalization News. I'm producer Lauren, and today we're going to be speaking with Lance Lambert from Boveda. But first, we do have to get into a little bit of cannabis legalization news. So, Miggy, Tom, what's happening? Happy Monday. What's Happy Monday. Lauren. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Fuck, I don't know. I'm doing uh, better, though. Good. I don't know. You better know. Hey, did you hear what happened out of Kentucky? Man, both the good and the bad. Did you hear? What was the bad? So, the, some legislators just knocked down a... a, a um, uh, uh, to decriminalize it for penalties. All right. So, but they At still the passed time, like HB 136. And I did a, a quick video on that. So, check out the one on HB 136. So, it's been legalized halfway. So, now that I wonder if the Senate in Kentucky is going to take it over the line. I hope so. I, I you know, the, just the uh, that reefer madness, if we can just get the South on board, man, that would, uh, that would be a moving. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't see any federal uh, headway. But uh, did you see yesterday's debate with uh, Bernie Sanders? Yeah, and marijuana won. Marijuana won, and they actually discussed it at yeah. the debate for like they a very like I don't remember that coming up in any of the debates the the last presidential election. No, and it was it was interesting. To watch, I saw like sound bites. Like I saw the one with Bloomberg again apologizing for stop and frisk. Like, give it up, dude. You're just yeah. Like, he was apologizing for stop and frisk while like spinning a whole bunch of lies about the harms and dangers of cannabis. Yeah. Hey, hey, I'm sorry. I just uh, put your family in jail and ruined your guys' life and your childhood. But uh, hey, vote for me. That's right. I was trying to protect you <laughs> from yourself, from yourselves. Yeah. You know, no, I, watch out. What's that? You have to watch out for yourself, man. You are uh, <laughs> yeah. you're a danger, danger to yourself. But, you know, in Washington, we don't believe in that. It's because you guys have freedom over there. Well, to a certain extent, by the way, homegrown is dead again this year. That's too it's bad. Homegrown might be dead, but there is a whole bunch of applications going on right now. So that's why I'm coming at you from the home office. Uh, my commute has gotten so truncated that there's the bedroom and then I just walk into here and then I start working. Uh, but it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, we're putting together several teams and it's uh, going to be submission here in a, about two weeks. When's the deadline? Uh, March 16th is the final one. So we're going to be done by March 13th, uh, oh, that nice. Friday. Yeah. Uh, and it's but it's it's a complex, convoluted issue. So every time one of these states legalizes, it doesn't mean that the plant is going to be less regulated like in Oklahoma or something. Yeah. Well, it's, let's not forget, 
when, when even with the legalization, the rules change as you know state what by state you go or actually village by village. Uh, because a lot of the cannabis legalization has been local. So uh, like we had on uh, several people that would talk about getting their license. Oh, yeah. Even just saying uh, last uh, Sunday, who was talking about getting his license in Oregon, remember? And he had to get the community specifically on his side because some states, they legalize at the community level or they grant the license at the community level and municipal. Yeah. With the, Illinois, it's coming more of a top down like American Maryland or and somebody just came in uh, from Missouri. Same type of thing where Missouri has got a state level. And so did Kentucky. Kentucky listed at the state how many that there would be. But, but even on a state level, yeah. technically you can't all like counties or whatever create their own moratoriums or whatever, because California no. has a big no. It depends. Like you know, if the statute says that you can create a moratorium, then sure. But if the statute doesn't say that, then no. You know, and it depends on how the regulation is being done. And so if the regulation is being done to regulate the, I mean, because you have to remember the Controlled Substances Act is trying to regulate interstate commerce in weed mm. by banning it because banning is a type of regulation. And yeah. so uh, it's a stupid type of regulation, but it's the one we have at the federal level. And, and, it's, and it's a commercial regulation in and of itself. And so if the state of Illinois believes it was in its best interest to regulate the commercial sale of cannabis, like it was liquor, uh, but even the, the liquor would still have sometimes have like a, a dry county, you know? Yeah. So usually with these prohibitions, they do let it be on a very, very local level. But if the state wanted to speak to its uh, commercial development, they could, just like the federal government is by saying, oh, that interstate commerce and cannabis, it's all banned. So so in, in Illinois, though, can like Peoria just say, you know what, we don't want weed in our county or is that not a thing in your guys? No, state? no, they can't, because that was expressly written into the law that says, you know, uh, municipalities, you're limited by this. You're not allowed to uh, say that you can't. But they they gave the municipalities a wide berth, though. They, they said municipalities, you can reasonably regulate and zone cannabis and you could prohibit the business, but not the use. So uh, or the possession. So, you know, you can't undo their legalization, but you can say you can't sell it here. I think once they see the uh, the billion dollar industry, I mean, well, how Colorado was one billion, one point seven billion last 1. year. 7. So, yeah. And they got about five, five point five million. So about two point five, three times that uh, in Illinois, who was fully accepted. But did you know it's interesting that it's growing? Right. I, I realize the population of Colorado is growing, but I think that the uptake of cannabis use is actually increasing. And that explains the the additional sales. Will that be probably mostly like the illicit market or the traditional market kind of slowly fading out, you think? No, I think uh, it's not the the untaxed market fading out. I think it's a um, an impact of acceptance and more people buying it. Okay. So like uh, right now, even like in Washington State or in California, it's only about 20 percent of the population will say that they buy weed. Yeah. Uh, you know, 80% of the population does will say that they drink. So, you know, if we're going to do like a chart uh, on that, if, if that 20 goes up to that 80, and then what if there's an actual, and we're seeing this a substitute good. So people are choosing to use the cannabis over to use the liquor. And so you might sell less Budweiser. That's true. I, I saw a metric too recently in uh, one of our, uh, we have this uh, lemon haze bud tender. Uh, they, the, you know, a little networking thing. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the metrics they put out was uh, in all the legal states, and they've all reached about 50% of the consumer that goes into these stores, they go in unknowingly. 
they they go in with no idea of what cannabis is, period. Um, and that's a huge market of people who just waited till it was legalized, you know? They just waited until it was legalized, but that's a legit thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just that bothers me right there. It's like, how can you accept the government <laughs> telling you this it's thing? It's the Milgram experiment. Haven't you ever seen the Milgram experiment? It's What's terrible. It? it basically proves two-thirds out of people are Nazis. So that means like walking down the street, two out of three people that you meet could in theory be a Nazi uh, because they would only be following orders. That's how much respect people have toward authority. So the Milgram experiment's terrifying when you look at it at a psychological level because it provided that you have enough authority and influence and remind somebody that their job is to do what you're telling them, uh, they'll kill people. And yeah. so that's it's a terrible experiment. Um but it's still but one that's actually confirmed. It's like one of those things where it's like because the, in science, it's like, well, let's see if we can screw with people. And, and that's assuming what, you know, the Milgram experiment is. But then they publish that report and then somebody else tries to replicate it. And then eventually, you know, they, they start seeing the pattern. It's terrible. But you can actually, I mean, even see it in real life with actual present day law enforcement. I mean, anybody that takes the time to arrest somebody over a, any cannabis related crime. Mm -hmm. it, you're just wasting time. You're not helping right. anybody. You're not protecting right. anybody. Seriously, like when you got, remember that time you got busted for tax evasion and they came in through the windows and they kicked down all your doors? I'm hey, just you gotta pay your taxes. Who is being protected by my cannabis non-use? Yeah. You know what? Not me. Right. right. <laughs> Stop using that. Oh my gosh, we're here to protect you. Yeah. Oh, I'm here to tell you how oh. you're be safe. Yeah. Right. You know, but, I mean, it, and safety, it, it, safety at its core in, in life is kind of interesting because we're all dead. You know, it, it's it, that's that's how we all end up. And so but yet then we try to be as careful and as safe as possible. And where are the kids going to go to school? You know, they have to have a good head start. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever there's a crime uh, with cannabis, you know, that's the other thing, too. Right. Like if the kids in the in the same house, it's like. What the plant's gonna jump at them? All the pollen's gonna shake and give you allergies? What the well, fuck? Seriously, because it's a plant. It it's a plant. Like you know, are you? Is there? There's a list of plants that you can't have in a house, and that's child endangerment, right? That's, yeah, that's a thing. Well, every time there's a a case involved, that is child endangerment. If there's a kid in the premises, no matter what, it's just because of the drug. Because it's a drug. Because of uh, a commercial regulation in a substance that is a plant. Yeah. No. Makes no sense. <laughs> but you know who can help us uh, uh, talk about this plant in, in proper storage? You know, but that's something. Let's build this up a little bit more. <laughs> we have a medium. And this medium is supposed to uh, keep, keep it fresh. Now, isn't that one of the problems that you have with your cannabis is sometimes it's just not as fresh as you'd like it? Well, and I'm curious, too, because I know uh, the products themselves maintain humidity and temperature at the same time. I wonder, can they rehydrate? I know uh, Raw just came out with something. So I would really like to curious, if, you know, if Lance can answer that question about rehydration. Interesting. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about cannabis hydration and uh, humidity control. We're going to get humidor on this. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Lance, what's happening? Yeah. Oh, oh, boy. Lance, are you on mute? All right, here I am. How about, can you hear me now? Good. Like yeah, a commercial. So why don't you introduce yourself, Lance? What's going on? 
Yeah, hey, so my name is Lance Lambert. I'm actually the Director of Business Development at Bovida. Uh, I've been in the industry now for several years on the legal side. Uh, I have some history in the legacy market as well, having grown up in Northern California, a little area called Marin County in a town called San Anselmo, right next to uh, San Rafael, where the Waldos are from. Although I'm not as old as them, I promise. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I've been in the industry for a minute and uh, very happy to be on the show today. I like that. I like how you called this the legacy market uh maybe he was calling it the traditional market i was calling it the untaxed market you know and so we all we all got our description for how things used to be but if yeah it's i've even heard free market which i'm not against that one thing i'm, I'm not a fan of and in, in not to you know make it racial i try not to but the whole we used to black market, white market, gray market. I just, I'm, I'm not a big fan. You know, just like it, yeah. it offended me last night. I know this sounds cheesy. I'm a bit of, I'm not a can of snob. I'm a can of sewer, I swear. And I'm an advocate, not an activist. So right. open hand, not not closed fist. Right on. But having said that, watching the Democratic debate, which I know, uh, Miggy, you brought up, um, it bothers me every time that these individuals, and now I know they're all baby boomers, if if not silent generation, which is scary. Uh, but 79. 79. Yeah. I, and that is the silent gender. I mean, that's insane. But the fact that they constantly reference it as marijuana, this is it's fine that, that that's what the government going back to prohibition and reefer madness. And I know it's hard to change the vernacular in Colorado. Of course, right. they they amended that to change it to cannabis, the true technical term versus the slang term. Same with to Kentucky, too. Kentucky's yeah. HB 136. They did that. But it is legally like Lance, it would take an amendment to the Controlled oh Substances Act. Because it's yep. it's it's in there. They they put it, it in the law. They define cannabis as marijuana. Yep. And with a J and an H. That's another thing that's very interesting. There's a whole other history. Yeah. So you it was can before, find it. It was before America could even speak Spanish. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> a whole so different. I mean, and it does. You know, it it, it does tie into racial. I mean, it, and it was something that was uh, uh, essentially a vehicle for segregation, and not just for African American at the time, but for Latino. About, yeah, we talk about Asian. the exception to the Thirteenth Amendment down here, where it's like, hey, oh, the Thirteenth Amendment makes you free unless by crime, then you can still be a slave. Well, it looks like all these people we don't like are using this plant that they enjoy. Ban it. You know, now they're criminals again. Right. It's insane. Yep. Insane. Sorry, tangent, but a fun oh, one. No, that's why we have the show, uh, yeah. you know, because a lot of it is educational based. But then a lot of that education is related to the plant coming into this new market uh, and being welcomed back into the, the fray. And one of the things that is very important is the cure process for flavor and humidity control. So you mentioned Boveda. <laughs> yeah, uh, now, 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 where did you get the name of Bovida? Of course, I'm, uh, I'm joshing you there. Yeah. But, uh, so, Bovida was not the original name. The company has been around 23 years now, and uh, we went under a different name before. But we came across Bovida a handful of years ago and went through a rebrand. A Bovida is a safe, secure, like a vault. And it's something that we felt was synonymous uh, with a majority of the categories we're focused on, and those top three being uh, what we call the herbal. And again, uh, being big medical advocates, we feel herbal was a bit more uniform than the, the cannabis division or the marijuana division. So we have the herbal division, the musical division, and the uh, cigar or tobacco division. And all of those you keep in a safe, secure spot, right? And they're all passions. You're passionate about your, your acoustic guitar from Taylor. You're passionate about your Cubans. You're passionate about your cannabis. So we really and it's felt- humidity. You know, it's humidity. Yeah. But they're all humidity sensitive. 
Yeah, and so many things are, right? I mean, we're humidity sensitive. The largest organ in our body, people don't realize this, is, is our skin, is this outer layer. Yeah. And even that's sensitive to humidity. We were talking about Colorado. I lived out there for, for three years. My God, I'd never finished a chapstick in my life until I moved to Colorado. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. It's February in Illinois. Like, yep. you know, like my skin you know, just turns to ash come January. Yep. And yeah, yep. I so have a humidifier in my plants right now because yep. there's just not enough humidity in the air. It's true. And, and the, the ladies don't like that, right? I mean, that's one thing we mm. focus from cure to consumption, as I say, so everything post-harvest, but in very much um, cognizant of the fact that relative humidity plays an exponential role during the actual uh, production and the growing of cannabis. That's why we have all these fans oscillating so you don't have any stagnant air creating mold and microbial growth. Um, the same thing is relative, relative after, and I think maybe you got into it. You know, a lot of my friends, this is more so centric to NorCal, but they're a fan of the 60-60-12 on the cure, which means, like Miggy is saying, so 60% relative humidity, 60 degrees in temperature, and curing it for 12 days. Um, but really, that is a huge factor in what the end the end result is, right? That quality and consistency is all relative to making sure that you're on point with your cure. And some might adjust their temps and their RHs, but anyone that knows anything in, in those that grow know, I'll just say that, yeah. that we know that growing is just half the battle. There's so much emphasis and so many wives' tales and so much into window tied to what's the best way to grow. And, and I'm an old school guy, so I know everyone loves indoor and jungle boys. I'm not knocking it. I'm an outdoor because I'm all about a pheno, not just a geno on my, on my you know, cultivars. But the fact that these guys know that it's very important on how you bucket, how you dry it, how you cure it, how you store it, how you package it. You know, that whole process is really relative. So Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's huge. What's the, uh, uh, the use of your packet, say for personal use, uh, you know, for my home grow? Uh, and I'm like you said, old school, I just use, I like mason jars. And, uh, and I put them in my cupboard where it's dark and no light attached to the thing. What, how long is that packet good for? That's a great question because it is pretty subjective. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm down here in Southern California. I'm in technically the low desert as much as everyone thinks SoCal is beautiful and great temperatures. Uh, we're in the desert versus Northern California where it's a very arid or, or tropic subtropic climates, right? Um, I found, I'm with you, I'm kind of old school. I, I love sea vaults too, but when it comes to cure and store, I'm kind of more of a mason jar guy. And sorry, I'm holding up a, this is a restash, but you guys know it's just, it's essentially yeah. it's a glass jar with the right. So um, something it like also this. protects against the light because like the mason jars in theory, but then I kind of like it because then I have the bag appeal. You know, well, so yeah, you know, technically they, you know, the guys over at Mason started listening to us and they actually did come out. You guys probably know this with a brown jar with an opaque, something that is a UV blocker because Tom, you nailed it. There's three elements that are factors on degradation of any plant matter. And that is exposure to air, exposure to light and not the right balance of moisture. These, this trifecta is what really helps you be able to sustain. I mean, I have quick tangent. I have in my reserves uh, from 2017 season from Hidden Prairie Farms, Good Friends Farm up in the Triangle. Um, I have uh, Blue Skittles, their first season of Blue Skittles. Phenomenal. That's one of my favorite modern day strains. And the only way I'd be able to preserve it is, is doing this, is having it in a, a closed jar. Uh, way for, I keep it stored in the closet as well. Matter of fact, we have a, this is kind of cool not to geek out, but we have these little sensors 
It's kind of yeah. neat. We call it the, yeah. the Bovida Butler. So this, I have direct access through an app to know exactly what the ambient temperature and relative humidity is in here. Oh, and it has a shock sensor too, in case anyone tries getting into my stash. <laughs> that's why I'm able to preserve something for three years. And yeah, I mean, there's certain things that occur. But you have an alarm on your stash? Oh yeah, man. I'll have to... I can totally peek out on you. This is something that, um, I mean, we kind of soft launched it, but I love this tech. That's one of the things that I love about this industry is there's so much like geeking out and ancillary little customizations. Yeah. Hey, what do you do? I make stash alarms so that nobody (laughs) robs me of my blue skin. I love it. Exactly. Exactly. So this is mine. This is a little, sorry, you probably can't see it, but this is the dashboard and the dashboard tells me exactly that. Like what is the relative humidity? What is the temperature? What's last update? So this is tied to a Mason jar of um, Emerald Queen, another great grower out of the the triangle, Emerald Queen's uh, wedding cake. So I know exactly where it's at. But to answer your question, Mickey, I've had in my reserves, I've had packs stay for 15 months without losing. So I compare it, I'm a big metaphor and analogy guy, right? You come from an automotive family, third generation. So I compare it to using Bovida as a battery booster or a battery maintainer. So if you take your flower straight off a cure, which let's just say you're between 55 and 60 RH. I'm a 58% relative humidity guy, some are 62, I prefer 58. I drop in a 58% pack, I put that in there and I leave it alone. I might go in and to your point, Tom, if it's in a clear jar, I can go in and look and make sure it's still there and, and everything in place. But I essentially leave it alone and I only tap it once every few months. It's kind of that fine age scotch or whiskey yeah. versus a nice bottle of wine, right? And so I can have it last that long because I'm not disrupting that atmosphere, right? Because no matter what's going on outside in the ambient, it's all relative to what's going on in that container and making sure that it's the right temperature, the right relative humidity and sealed. Another thing we talk about is leak down. You need to have um, nothing against plastic bags or old school Ziploc and stuff we did, but they, they just don't keep, if you can smell it, it's losing terpenes. If you can smell it, there's oxygen escaping out of that environment. So again, mason jars, what, 12 packs, 12 bucks for a 12 pack or something, you can't mm-hmm. go wrong, yeah. you know, so. No, they're great for control. And then yeah. can they add humidity? Like if I had, if I found a dry stash and if I threw that in with a dry stash, would that help build the moisture up to that crumbly? Yeah, I'll speak in hypothetical because being a criminal justice major, I know there's certain laws that will be relative to the statement. But um, before I worked for Bovida, I left the cannabis, uh, a news outlet out in Colorado I was managing, and went to go run media for Weed Maps. So this involved driving to Southern California. So driving to Southern California, got into town, it was summertime. Uh, about a month or two later after making the move, I'd come across uh, an eighth in my trunk. And this stuff was super dry. I mean, not only did it come from Colorado, but it had been sitting in the trunk for, for a few months. And um, I had come across the Bovida crew. And again, I grew up like you guys with moist paper towels and lettuce and orange rinds and all these hacks that don't really work. And so I threw one in and it actually became squishy again. It wasn't dry. And I mean, you looked at it the wrong way and and it was going to keep out. I mean, literally you didn't need a grinder, let alone your fingers. And so I just was very careful in putting in that Bovida. And two weeks later, it had that squishiness. So I went to my team. I had about 35 employees on the media team there. And I said, find the oldest weed at Weed Maps. We're at headquarters, right? So we have studios and stuff. They found four-year-old weed in mason jars on one of the sets. Wow. So I said, okay, let's get it. We had some really great, you know, we had reds and, and did high you, eight. Did, and did you try a, a nugget first and like try to pick it up? <laughs> <laughs> 
We did not, but you know what? We tested it. Yeah. I know everyone knows, you guys know, all of us geeks know it, cannabinoid, CBN, which in my opinion is a true hero cannabinoid. I'm not an ambient or halcyon guy. CBN for the win, right? You're not going to sleep. Yeah. Yep. So we tested it and it was about one and a half percent CBN. We thought for sure after four years that it would oxidize to the point of conversion from THC. So that did surprise me. But we did a time lapse over a week. So we literally locked it in a closet with a camera focused on it with Bovina inside. And you could literally see the bud puff back up. And oh, I was just uh, like, yeah, I'm sold. That I'm is sold. something that I kind of noticed in this uh, treatment here. But then when yeah. the pack, the pack starts to get, um, it was it was very loose and like fluid when yeah. I threw it in there. And now it's starting to get very, very solid. So what's What's going on in the pack? That's a great question. So our technology, our IP is nothing to do with what's inside the pack. It's all natural. We actually harness mother nature uh, salt, which has been used to preserve everything from food to um, to, pro to objects in history, um, as far as keeping them at the right relative humidity. So we utilize salt, purified water, and uh, xanthan gum as a gumming agent. So that's all that's inside. Our proprietary technology, or our IP, if you will, is the membrane that allows moisture in and out via osmosis. So only moisture gets out, no salt. Only moisture gets in, no terps. So that's really what's going on. So what you're talking about, Tom, is, is that flower was excessively dry. So it pulled every bit of energy out of that bovita pack. And that's a nice thing about our product is, you know, it's done because just like a piece, I'm not saying any of us did this, but we all went to school and we reached under the desk. That hard piece of gum, it's the same thing. When the moisture escapes from gum, mm -hmm. it hardens, right? Because all of a sudden it's not gelatinous. So, so that's exactly technology. what's yeah. So, so that's how you know, right? Yeah. What's the lifespan then? Uh, so it really is. I mean, I t we typically tell people three to four months um, is is the average. Uh, again, some people have different type of stash containers. Some are working with wood. Some are working with baggies. Um, those of us that again that more so utilize glass or even sea vaults. I've had this. Um, gosh, this is a kosher kush from a friend down here in SoCal, home grower. And I've literally, I've had this one in here, I want to say for about seven months and it's still soft. And this is kind of a nice thing. So Seavall, just like Restash, they have a little storage spot for it. Mm. Um, but then all you do is simply switch it out. You're good to go. But you're also so, in a uh, lower humidity area, right, Lance? I mean, Southern California, opposed to like up here in Northwest where I'm at, Seattle, where oh, yeah. you're changing these fuckers every like once a month just because of the humidity but you answered a question i was going to ask you about the, the 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 product itself because um the salt uh i work in calibration that's my my thing oh, how i pay yeah. the bills and uh intrigues intrinsic humidity standards you know it's a combination of salt and a little bit of water or chlorine so your packs they're not like uh the little silicon gel packs that are things they're they're are they uh biodegradable yeah, so 95% of the product approximately is biodegradable. The only thing that isn't is that membrane. We actually even use craft paper and organic ink on it. So the nice thing about it is um, ISO, GMP, um, ASTM, FTA, um, we're all compliant as far as things go. Uh, we'd love to, if we could get the membrane, that's that one element um, that is technically not biodegradable because of it being oil-based, you know, being a membrane. Sure. Um, but to your point, yeah, I'm, I've got a, all right, I'm, Love hygrometers. So, of course, I know what my ambient is. And I float around 39 to 41 in-house here, right, as far as yeah. relative humidity, uh, which is a bit low. Let's compare that to 
Haiku, Hawaii, where I have friends that grow over there and they're dealing with 108 inches of rainfall a year. So they're hitting me up in their opposite of us. They're saying, man, I've had the same pack for a year and a half. Is it still okay? And I'm like, yeah, because it's, it's just a maintainer, man. You've yeah. got plenty of moisture. It's actually pulling, because this thing can, it can pull in up to 40% of its own weight in oh. water. So you can put it in an environment where the moisture is too high and bring it down. And that's what makes us a two-way humidity control. So you're talking about desiccant packs or silica packs. And silica is a one-way, except only as opposed to oranges or paper towels, wet paper towels. It only pulls or wicks moisture out of an environment. Okay. So I was in um, England at Product Earth Expo last August. They have two great events out there. One is the Autopot Summer Social. The guys put on the air one's Product Earth that our friends from uh, Emerald Cup uh, co-sponsored co this year. And um, people would walk up and they're like, oh, first they ask if it's a pack of seeds. It's, it's not a pack. I mean, I know they, they kind of look like it and you guys are showing one too, but I mean, it's really <laughs> not a pack of seeds. And if you look here. Yeah. No, they you don't know, look like I mean, a pack of seeds. They, I yeah. thought they were more like, what is that, a package of sugar? Yeah, 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 and I thought too, like you were getting sugar in the raw, right? Sugar in the raw, I'm a tea right. drinker. Yeah, so so they'd see them, and um, I explained it to them, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I take the the ones out of my sneakers, I put it in my stash," and I'm like, "Dude, I'm like, you're sucking all the moisture out of the environment. Like, yeah. are you a fan of super dry weed? I mean, because <laughs> that, I mean, talk about canoeing joints and ripping your throat up. I mean, you guys know if you're if you're a true connoisseur." The, the quality and the way it's consumed is as relevant as the product itself. We want right. to make sure experientially that we're enjoying it through and through. And something you got into, Miggy, too, is, yeah, I can bring it back, but there's also something we notice Once you get below about a 40% relative humidity, which most bud, we've tested. We've, tr we've traveled around the legal markets, and we found as low as 39. We found mm -hmm. as high as 56. But it really is important that you have that perfect level because if it is too dry, again, it just it rips you up. If it's too moist. Yeah, you run risks. So, well, and then it's it's your the the salt technology. I mean, your membrane helps it breathe, but if the salt, the technology itself, it helps maintain that that humidity, which I don't think people mostly understand. Like you're saying, taking a shoe pack out of your, I mean, because you guys have a controlled looking for X amount of percentage of humidity. Period. Yeah, yeah, and it's different types of salts, right? So I'll I'll pick on one that we all know, table salt, right? So we all we all have Morton's table salt. Uh, the average RH that table salt comes in at is 72%. So if you're in a high humidity, again, I'll pick on Hawaii. So if you're in a high humidity environment, you notice people add things like rice, right? Because a rice will wick the moisture before the salt does, so the salt doesn't get hard. We do the same thing with brown sugar or sugars. They have a certain relative humidity they like. If all of a sudden it gets higher, you're going to end up with a clump of brown sugar and banging it against the, the <laughs> countertop, right? So we've all been there. So that's where salt helps normalize that environment. Yeah, so totally. what do you recommend then? Because uh, you have different uh, boba packs. Uh, which, what do you recommend for your stash? So I recommend, um, it, it is personal preference. I'll, I'll put that out there straight away. Uh, for me, again, I kind of like 58%. If I'm going to do old school consumption, like rolling up a J, the, the grind with the 58% is just this perfect fluff. I don't know how else to put it, but if you guys know when you've taken something right off cure and you're grinding it for consumption, it just has that right fluffiness to lay down in the J. Now, if you're doing drier vape, which again, certain instances or circumstances, I'm a bigger fan of that. And it is a healthier alternative versus flame, right? Um, so I'll bust out, say my Firefly 2 or, or my G-Pen. Um, I actually will bump it up with the 62% pack because having a little more moisture allows an additional pull out of that 
from from consuming that way. Um, it also allows you to kind of enjoy the terpenes. You know, start low at temp and then bump it up to go from terpenes to cannabinoid, uh, you know, consumption. So, uh, but it is its preference. And some people in like the Northwest guys up there, you know, they like the lower to keep it safer. Guys in drier climates like Las Vegas, Phoenix, they like the 62 to keep it up higher keep it a little bit better for their consumption Just personal right what you're used to right uh, we'll probably have to vary it in, uh, over here in the illinois parts because we have warm humid summers and yep. frigid dry air winters so like you know in the winter i'm probably gonna pick up the 62s and then in the summers i'll keep up the 58s but i mean i love yep. twisting up joints so that's that's the way that i prefer to uh yep. enjoy the flower and then the thing is after legality and uh and the home grow comes in you kind of need to smoke joints just so that you could be bogarting them because it just, <laughs> stuff just, you know, stacks up. You know, like, yep. Very I'm true. Trying to, Very trying true. To more. I'm trying to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly true. And I think, again, it's, it's personal preference, but from an experiential for me, you know, because I know it is healthier. Again, I converted to dry herb a few years ago, but it was a real curve, you know, to, to be able to taste um, the flavonoids and the terpenes in that fashion versus, incinerating it essentially when we're lighting it up it was totally different and it was awkward at first now i appreciate it because again i can really i can pull the terps first and get it and you guys know um a lot of people again metaphorically speaking i look at the cannabinoids they're really the engine right that powers the high so that's why one loves higher thc because they want to feel this heady this body but the terpenes are the steering wheel of the car it really drives where the high is going to go is it going to be more of a mercine you know where you're it's more uh, sedative and more relaxing or is it going to be a lemonine more of an awake or a pinene that's more alert and awake so the the actual consumption of the terpenes and cannabinoids in combination which is the true entourage effect that factors into um, how you're consuming it you know and how you're enjoying it are the terpenes and the flavonoids as uh, finicky when it comes to relative humidity of the product yeah, a hundred percent. That's something where we've been doing a lot, a lot of studies, and we actually started a campaign. This is a Save the Terps. Yeah. So, um, we started SaveTheTerps.org again. I'm very thankful that Bovida is open-minded about those of us that are huge advocates of the plant that work for this company, and um, we did. We started studying it, and when these terpenes dry out, unfortunately, you can't get them back. So when I was talking about that flower that was stuck in my trunk at a hundred something odd degrees for how many months unfortunately the terpenes are already gone right a better part of them because terpenes are hydrocarbons and they're very volatile um, and this is where there's a bit of a misnomer there's people who are like oh you know i, I use bovida but it suppresses the smell or, or does it steal the terps because it's not as flavorful it doesn't actually suppresses them it sequesters them in the bud and keeps them where they belong so we create a monolayer over the bud to protect those terpenes and that's exactly what our biggest priority is and we've done a Bovida challenge. I'll, I'll send you guys a kit. I'll send you both kits. We have this Bovida challenge. The first round we did, the Q4 of last year, the results came back that 87% of the 100 people that did this challenge found that experientially their cannabis was better when stored with Bovida because yeah. they grind it and they're like, it smells like the first day I bought it or, or the first day it came off cure mm -hmm. because you're able to keep those terpenes. So if you're smelling it, you're <laughs> losing it. So yeah, terpenes are definitely sensitive to moisture as well. That's crazy to think about smelling it and losing it. Yeah, but I love the concept of being able to maintain it so that you can fresh grind your uh, your herb and then get the maximum flavor. That's something yeah. I ran into the ground 10 years ago when I first met Miggy, you know, back when the internet was pretty new, I guess, uh, uh, was um, I had a, a vaporizer. You had to plug it in. Like, you know, it was an electric volcano? vaporizer. 
Uh, yeah. And so like it would, uh, it would have a hose and then you could fill up balloons, yeah. but then yep. eventually you just, you just start using the hose. And it was fascinating because it would taste very, very green at the beginning. And then it would kind of go up toward when you burnt it all off and then eventually have more of a coffee flavor. And then you're like, ah, it's done. It's done. Yeah, it gets stale, right? And that's what you were getting terpenes on the front end. And right. then you were getting essentially what was left of that biomass once you got through the terpenes and the canal. But I was I was on black, I was on uh, not black market weed. What, are, what am I calling it? Tax-free market weed. <laughs> and, and so the flavor were, and, the, and the relative humidity wasn't an issue. It wasn't a concern. So no. I should really try uh, to vape. Uh, well, I don't call it vape. That's a different nomenclature, but use a, a vaporizer. Uh, yeah. Now, when you use yours, have they evolved? Do I still have to plug it in? Do they have batteries now? No, you don't. And sorry, mine are uh, downstairs in my storage unit. I have yeah. a little safe and secure spot for everything. Um, but no, they're they're hands-free. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of the Firefly 2, not to do a, a plug for them, but I mean, they're kind of the Apple phone of, of dryer vape. And that's what I call it too, right? So I reference it as dryer vape and people are like, what's dryer vape? And so I have to explain how you know you're using convectional versus non-convectional and geek out with them but um it's nice man because you can literally put a charge on it go out on the town and and get you know at least a few dozen rips two three dozen rips oh, yeah. out of it and then it starts to take a, a little bit like a burnt popcorn a little bit roasted like you can tell yeah. that it's being because that's literally what it's doing it's roasting yeah. cannabis and then it's wonderful because you learn more about the plant and so like you learn about the vapor pressure or the vapor points of all these chemicals that are there yeah. eventually you get to that roasted flavor and you're like nope we hit 400 degrees it's dead well you hit yeah. carb. yeah <laughs> yeah yep. And you guys know, I mean, that's the thing is you do have full control. So with, I mean, no matter, again, if it's G-Pen or DaVinci or Firefly, you have control over that actual amount of heat. And some of them documented. I mean, there's one, a GoFire a buddy of mine is a CEO over there. And I haven't tested it yet, but in their technology, they have an app that actually monitors the dosage and the temp and the pull. I mean, well, like, tell him to come on the show. We'll see if he wants to uh, you know, talk to us about you know, what type of vape pen or I should get next time. Because it's yeah. been like 10 years since I oh, drove yeah. that thing into the ground. But like I used it because it got me through law school, man. I wouldn't oh, yeah. have gotten through law school unless like I was medicated. And hey, um, I, I, I relate, man. I say criminal law and more power to you. For yeah. through. I, uh, I don't know anything about criminal law. I, I tell somebody to talk to Jeff. Like, no, you got to call Jeff. <laughs> you got to do it. Yeah, exactly. Tom, you guys are about to get inundated with all kinds of products, so you'll eventually see everything come through there at one time. Oh, it's the best. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be really interesting. And I keep telling everybody the industry's really not here yet. It's like knocking at the door. It's getting here, but it's not here. I mean, the craft growers probably aren't going to start hitting a product with the market uh, for at least another year, maybe a little bit more. And so it'll start trickling in, but it takes some time to get those uh, perpetual harvest cycles going, you know? Very true. Very yeah. true. One of the things I'm impressed by Bavaria about is uh, um, you said that they've been around for over 26 years. 23 years. 23 years. Yeah. At yeah. what point did someone think it was a good idea to get into cannabis and not just get into it, but promote it? Um, I'm looking at your website. You have all the sections with uh, the cannabis flower and even a blog that suggests how to how to cure your thing. Mm -hmm. Was it hard to convince the the, the big boss like, hey? This is a new market. We need to get in that right now. Yeah, we, we have a phenomenal boss. We have, uh, there's four founders originally, but two of the founders, one of our SVP of sales and the other is the CEO, uh, Sean. And it's interesting because 
uh, I think they had a certain level of respect from the beginning because of them being uh, cigar connoisseurs. So they had a respect for someone that really appreciates the experiential and in, in how this is something very selective. And it's not just a, oh, I'll take a diet beer because I'm hanging out at the lake today, right? It's something more than that. Uh, but it's interesting. And, and this is one thing that if you guys know uh, Ed Rosenthal, so I'm, I'm buddies with Ed, but Ed's partner's uh, Jane Klein. So we're on a rooftop at a, net, at a New West Summit. Uh, it was about a year and a half ago in Oakland. And she, uh, we're hanging out just talking. And she's like, you know what, Lance? She's all, you know, the industry found Bovida. Bovida didn't find the industry. And I'm like, Jane, you are 100% right. And she is. It wasn't, it wasn't Bovida that seeked out this industry. It was actually an individual that was bringing, um, during the legacy times, that was importing flour and came across this product and said, where was this? I was losing so much weight in these packs being shipped across the ocean. And then likewise, we started getting NorCal. And the interesting thing was we didn't have a product specifically for the cannabis category. So you guys touched on that. The closest we had was a 69, I believe at the time, which is for cigars. Oh. But 69% RH is too high for flour. Anything over 65%, if you're familiar with the ASTM standards, the ideal level of relative humidity for consumption is between 55 and 65. They give that range because anything over 65 is where there's that plausibility of microbial and mold growth, right? And, and everything exists there. It's just a perfect environment. And that's the difference between cigars. Cigars, you can throw 90% relative humidity. Because of the nicotine, it kills any of those microbials or molds. So, oh, I know that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's so microbial. Yeah, you can keep sticks higher. Yeah, everything's there. I mean, we it's it's just like us having, you know, I don't use antibacterial soap because we have good and bad bacteria on our hands. You know, you don't want to kill, and oftentimes antibacterial soap kills more of the good germs than it does the bad, and we need these. So um, the same thing exists with anything, any biomass, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, we started getting all these orders as well from Northern California, and, and the owners were like, wait, there's no cigar manufacturers in Eureka, <laughs> let alone Humboldt or Trinity or, or Lake County. There's a lot and, of these. So these yeah. And then you, you go to the map, and you're kind of like, this triangle right here. Yeah, there's what's this kind of triangle. There? There. Yeah. Yeah, up to Medford, all the way down to Mendocino. What's going on? Well, it's got to be and, uh, packs and turkey bags. Oh, my God. Man, dude. And it, it, so much has changed, yet so much is the same, right? Turkey bags and totes. I mean, if you don't know what a black and yellow is, you've never grown, right? Everyone knows the FDX. And, and I swear there's more turkey bags sold to the cannabis industry than any Thanksgiving party in the history of this country. So nope, sorry, wait, nope, that's we don't got that one over here. You're going to have to unpack the turkey bag and totes for the audience that's listening in Chicago going, what the hell is he Sorry. Yeah. So so um, they're, they're kind of old school uh, methodologies, but turkey bags breathe. So it's kind of interesting. Turkey bags retain... Uh, flavor and smell, but they actually allow moisture to dissipate. So it's a very porous plastic. Uh, so a lot of growers are fans of it because it does help during the cure process. Unfortunately, it's a handicap during the dry, or I'm sorry, during the storage process because you don't want to lose anymore. You want to retain it. So oftentimes what you'll find is guys that uh, we call them vaults or safes, wherever you store your flour, they have, you know, five, six, nine, bags of, uh, of uh, you know, flour, and then they have it in an MDX container, which helps, but both of these things have horrible leak down. They both allow moisture and, and air to flow. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so they were buying up these, you know, these Bovida packs, and all of a sudden we're like, wait, what's this being used for? And that was about a dozen years ago. Um, and then seven years ago, we put even more emphasis in it. And then I'd say two years ago, we just leveled up. We really decided 
you know, this is going to be the core focus of our business. I mean, we're very close to eclipsing our core, which is the tobacco industry, cigars, um, very close to eclipsing our core uh, offering right now with the Bovida side. Well, of, I, I think uh, the upside on that is probably larger simply because the the year over year growth pro- trajectory for cigars. I mean, that's kind of been like linear sideways right? for a while, right? Cigars yeah. have been, they're here. Yeah. yeah, it's very much, if not to be all business, but it's it's acquisition versus retention growth, right? So to your point, every time a new state and people, I think some people take Illinois for granted because the population there is phenomenally large. I mean, yeah, it's it's not, you know, New York, California, New York, not Florida, Texas, it's not Texas, but it's, oh, man, it's in there. It, yeah. it is. I mean, several million. So it's a huge factor. And you're right. The percentage of overall populace in the world of consumption of cannabis is far greater than cigars. And cigars have been linear. The only thing that's been an uptick that I think gave it about a 3% increase last year was China. And I don't know if you guys know, but three out of five cigarettes consumed in the world are consumed in China. Asians are very much in love with tobacco. Oh, yeah. And so because of this kind of westernized mentality, that's another reason why Buick didn't go out of business. 23% of all vehicles sold in China are Buicks. So they're very much in love with this Western kind of lifestyle of scotch and cigars. And I'm going to open American up a cowboy cigar. hat factory in China and make a mint. Be like, and how many people would laugh at you? are selling amazing to these yes. Chinese people. Yep. They all want to be Americans. Yes. And there's over a billion of them. I mean, there's over a billion populists. China and India both are, I mean, they're three going on 4X, the population of yeah of the u.s and then so. uh, donald trump was in india this week and so like uh, at the beginning of the week we kick off you know i just try to do a quick you know less than an hour meeting stand up so everybody on the team's kind of on the same page yeah. and so he was like oh trump's in india i'm like he is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so at the right time of year for him to try some bang you know there's a little <laughs> religious holiday that would, that, would that would help anybody who's watching <laughs> in india please slip the president some bang yeah, yeah. Yep, talk, sure. right, Lance, uh, you guys not only uh, not just humidity products, but you guys also I had the luxury of seeing one of your containers in action. These uh, little silver ones. Oh, the sea vaults. That yeah. was amazing. Uh, there's a grow here that I walked into um, uh, Sky High uh, Grow. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got a chance to we see. We love it. the guys at Sky High Gardens. They're so what's, what's the sea vault? So the Sea Vault, that actually is a partner of ours. We we don't own that company, Sea Vault or uh, Store Fresh is the parent company name. That started by a gentleman named Gary Swanson. And Gary was a huge contributor to uh, to Bovida more so focusing on the herbal category several years ago. I mean, he started working with, I was just on the phone with him yesterday. He started working with this company when there's less than half a dozen employees. And now we're right teetering around 50. So mm-hmm. he's been in for some time. The Sea Vault, if you are a grower, and again, I'm more than happy to connect you guys with Gary. He'd be a good guy on the show. Um, I highly recommend trying them because, again, just like Sky High Gardens, the guys at Sky High, uh, they use glass. You probably saw this, Miggy. They, they yeah. cure in glass and totally respect that. But I've had friends that have converted to curing in the Sea Vaults and stainless, and they said there's something about the stainless. The only thing I'm not a scientist, the only thing I can think of, though, is stainless is far less porous than glasses, because people don't realize glass is porous. Like, you know, you, I, I make homemade salsa and I do, um, um, I essentially smoke my salsa in an apple wood. Oh, wow. I can smell every mason. I, okay, am I going to use this for, you know, for food or for flour? <laughs> right. Every time I open the jars for salsa, I'm like, nope. That, I mean, even going through a dishwasher at the highest temperature, right? right? So glass is porous and you don't have that same effect with 
stainless steel and it is medical grade. So you have that level of quality. So That's it's awesome. definitely worth giving a try. So you break it down to like, you know, how much you're going to be curing in there. The, the large sea fault looks like it can handle one to two ounces. And then the two liter, you got up to three to four. So depending on what type of plant you're pulling down, you can kind of understand where you're going to go with the cure, huh? Yep. And those just like these, they have the little the little uh, tray on top. And, and again, I mean, you can uh, you can rub the bow up against your flower. Nothing's happened. But there are guys that do want to keep um, that moisture main maintenance in the headspace as yeah. opposed to down in the flower. Mm -hmm. Totally fine. So they've done that. Another company we're uh, good friends with, we're partners with is uh, CureTube out of San Diego. So um, I don't have time. I travel 75% of the time for my job, so I don't grow anymore. But if I did still grow, my gosh, I would use these these tubes um, instead of having to, to go through the bags or go through the totes. You have these tubes for curing. And same thing, they put in a tray for Boveda. And those that are expert growers, you know, those that have been around who have mastered the craft, typically they use us more so on the on the storage, right? So it's more so just using on, on that phase. But those that are still kind of learning the craft really do fine tune their cure with Bovida, which is a good thing I recommend. It saves you from all of your burping. Um, it obviously helps maintain that RH, which is a tough thing to balance in some, some uh, you know, geographical locations. Uh, so for these guys to actually equip these these different containers with, uh, you know, the, the plausibility of being able to utilize our technology is awesome. Speaks yeah. volumes. But I think that's a wonderful example of the industry stacking itself on top of each other because you guys have a product and there was another ancillary product on top of an ancillary product. And so like when I talk to people that are trying to get into the industry, I'm like, well, you know, you don't need a license, but uh, you need to touch the plant in some shape or form. Yeah. And that's, and you, Tom, you're spot on. We talk about it. Either you touch the plant or you don't touch the plant. Uh, you know, we kind of reference, you know, it has been a bit of a green, a played out term for back in the Colorado days, but a green rush, we hear it right. Yeah. And so for us to be ancillary, we do look at ourselves as the picks and shovels, you know, the boating bakery or the Levi jeans of the gold rush of Northern California. But it's true. Those are the companies that are still around. Of course, we've seen the different, you know, um, all of a sudden these these monopolies come out of what was the gold industry back in the day and it goes very corporate and mainstream but those ancillary companies also thrived in their own right and became these behemoths that were once just a small little bakery in the corner in downtown san francisco or a small jean manufacturer that made the perfect pair of jeans for a guy working out in the rocks all day so um anyway you're in it it's not too late to get into it people always ask me that and the only reason is because there's new markets coming on all the time. There's yep. um, cannabis has been legalized, descheduled or deregulated in over 40 countries in the world. So a majority of LATAM, um, gosh, pretty much all of South America, I think, except for one country, has some sort of cannabis program. Europe is moving forward. The Pan Pacific, Thailand has what's now a pretty successful medical program. South Korea is working on one. Australia's already been in one for a few years and New Zealand's coming online. So not only can you get into the industry, but you can get into the industry really almost anywhere in the world. Yeah. You know? yeah. So. Well, I think they were smart too to bring you aboard as far as somebody who has previous cannabis experience. You know, you see a lot of these companies get involved in the space and the guy has no clue. He's like, I just used to work yeah. at Mark Marshall Lynch or whatever. And you know, yeah. don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, no, it's true. Man. And we did, I'm, yeah. I was with a really big company, not naming any names. And they were so stoked when they hired someone from Twitter and they hired the, the brand ambassador uh, manager from um, Red Bull. And we hired someone from Google. They're like, oh, we're hiring all these techie guys. And the funny thing is, is the mentality of the mainstream Fortune500.com startup or otherwise is, oh, it's a bunch of stoners. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? 
not the case. Not only do we know what we're doing, but we're really good at combining that legacy with with modern, you know, modern market yeah. and legalization. And we speak the language. So coming in and thinking that we're a bunch of guys sitting around like Spicoli's ordering pizzas on our couch, you know, it ain't going to fly, man. In this industry, I love it. It pushes those people out like splinters, man. It yeah. really, I've seen guys come in with that New York, that East, sorry, not, not, but that, that stock exchange attitude. And it's like, dude, take it back to Wolf's of Wall Street. We don't want it. See you yeah. there. But you know, it just, it just how it goes. I mean, then that's the yep. thing, though. I mean, if you don't get it, this probably isn't for you. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it, it's greed. It's greed. It is. Yeah. It's so greed. And there's still we still need we need HR directors. We need scientists. We need sales managers. We need logistics. Um, I mean, there isn't a category of any other industry that's exempt from this industry. We need all those people. Those people don't necessarily have to be experts. You don't have to consume out of the. 400 employees at the time when I was at Weedmaps, 34% did not consume. Totally fine. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to drink the Kool-Aid to believe in the Kool-Aid or to understand the Kool-Aid, right? So, yeah. um, but I am fortunate because this company, when they brought me on, that's what we discussed. They were really kind of working the industry from the outside in. And then having me come on, they were able to work from the inside out. And we've since brought on other individuals. One guy used to own Cali Gold, another guy is a, a definitely top-notch grower of 15 years in his own operation in NorCal. So we're bringing on more people that have that background and they're proven to be, you know, priceless because they, they can speak the language, but they understand business along with, you know, culture and craft, if you will. Well, the, the fact that you guys lobby too, when I was listening to your podcast yeah. with your, uh, you know, the fact that Bovita is part out there trying to help change the conversation, I think it's excellent. You know, uh, <laughs> Yeah, we spend quite a lot. I mean, I won't be bashful, man. We're members. I'm I'm actually a board member of Attached, thanks to Bovoda, the American Trade Associate Association for Cannabis and Hemp. And again, this is weird, but I was a criminal justice major. Obviously, my career didn't go that path. So that's why I stayed in school. But having said that, I'd never gone to the Hill and lobbied before. So to go to the Hill and to sit down with Diane Feinstein, this gal who was the first ever head of council, the first ever mayor of San Francisco when I was a kid, one of the first ever uh, senators of, of California. I mean, it was huge to go out there, but to be out there and advocate for something that I wholeheartedly believe in, which is freeing this plant, which before I thought was such a cliche term when I'd go to a place like Australia and they're, you know, where Nimbin's Mardi Gras, which I definitely recommend is one of the best protestables in the world in this industry. And people are holding up those free the plant signs. And I'm like, free the plant. But you really start getting it. You're like, yeah. it really is. Dude, Tom, you mentioned it. This plant was 100% legal. I mean, this country was founded with Indian hemp. I yeah. mean, it, th this was the normal way of life, and it's been a part of culture. And we mentioned Bang in India; it's been a part of religion and culture yeah. for centuries. It was a cash crop, a founding cash crop of China. China still is one of the largest exporters of hemp in That's the world. Right. China, yeah. <laughs> not, not not Colorado, not U.S., not Russia. You so know? when was China going to get on board and find out? Like all these Americans love, especially the Americans in California, which they're trying to emulate. I guess they love smoking cannabis. How, I, yeah. I mean, they, they have a lot of hemp, but I don't think they yeah. have a lot of um, THC cannabis. No, and they're unfortunately, I mean, again, a little bit of opinion, but I just feel that they're focusing too much on synthetic, too much on answering the big pharma call, because you do have a lot of the synthetics coming out of Asia. And these are things that are harming. I mean, this is where it hits home because, you know, I've had a few friends 
that have passed away over all of us are similar in age at this point you've probably known someone in your life that's passed away from opioid overdose um, from from something from pharmaceuticals and again that's a big difference people need to understand uh, you know we weren't meant to consume those things naturally uh, from a homeopathic or eastern medicine standpoint there's things like ginseng and echinacea and ginkgo caloba cannabis falls into that we have an endocannabinoid system right we have yeah. cb1 and cb2 receptors you cannot overdose to the point of you can overdose off anything. I don't people don't understand that term. It doesn't always mean death, but you can't overdose to the point of death from cannabis. It's physically impossible because of the fact that we have a system that's Legos and Legos. You know, when you're talking Advil or opioids, big pharma, you're talking about Legos and Lincoln logs. They mm. just don't interact well together. They don't jive well together. And that's where you have issues. So unfortunately, I think again, Asia's but more of a focus on appeasing the big pharma than the more of the, ironically, the more of the Eastern medicine. Too bad. That's one of the things that I really don't like about the plant's current federal uh, you know, legislation is that it has been impossible for us to really determine what that beneficial science is regarding this plant, because it is, it is, we do have an endocannabinoid system. It appears to let it keep yeah. on an even keel and it, it keeps us from getting like too out of whack. And so like, what happens if in 20, 30 years, we have good cohorts of data where it's like, oh, if you're a regular user of cancer, I'm sorry, cannabis, your cancer rates are a fraction oh, of if you wouldn't man. have used it. You know, yeah. I mean, what if yeah. that 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 data is out there in the general population, and then you you find that after it's actually legal to study the dang thing? Yeah, I'll send you guys. There's uh, cannabis-med.org. Uh, slash study slash study PHP. Uh, this is one great resource for records dating. I'm just looking at it now all the way back. I want to say 1970, uh, but they are constantly adding. Now, a lot of these studies are privately funded for obvious reasons if they're domestic, but if they're international, uh, you can find them as well. Uh, there have been studies around PTSD, uh, seizures, uh, Alzheimer's, uh, blunt force trauma, uh, sleep deprivation, uh, eating disorders. I mean, all these different studies and they're finding. I was the most impressed. If you guys get a chance to go to, of all places, Tel Aviv, Israel. Israel is really the epicenter for science and for medical study of the plant. They've uncovered over 900 cannabinoids. You realize that's almost triple what's been discovered domestically with our studies. Yeah. So that, you know, love Steve D'Angelo. We're friends. He was the presenting, you know, the opening keynote. But what really impressed me was the head of the University of Cannabis and Cancer came on after him. And he showed, now they're doing human studies, but at the time, almost two years ago, they're showing they took the top cancers. They took breast cancer, prostate cancer, colon cancer. And um, they didn't give us specific cultivars. It was like X147 and 329. But they showed that they found specific cultivars that were able to combat the actual cancer cells, and they're showing petri dish pre-post, so hundreds of cancer cells to dozens of cancer cells. And another thing they shared was the cultivar for solving on, on breast cancer, on combating cells there, did not work on prostate. Prostate didn't work on colon. So it's very specific, which obviously contradicts things like RSO, like Rick Simpson oil. Oh, just make it out of any cannabis you can get your hands on, and it'll help you. Well, to a certain extent, but there's a whole other level of study that exists out there. And your point, I hope that with federal legalization, and we don't want to drop to schedule two because that just means only no. big farmers access. That's we right. want it deschedulized. Oh. Like we need people to understand, don't drop it a notch. That's what I, I appreciate the Bernie Sanders types that understand mm -hmm. what kind of implications there are to the level of legalization or descheduling. But we need to schedule it so we can catch up because I hate to say it, we might be the leader in craft and culture and maybe even uh, on the genetics side of things. But from studying it medically and scientifically, 
we're behind, man. We're oh, really yeah. behind. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, yeah, like you're saying, when you see that free the plant or even cannabis cures cancer, you know, as, as an advocate, you're more like, ah, geez, I don't know. But then you, you see things happening. You're like, well, it does help, but we yeah. don't have the actual, like, you know, when, when people are trying to tell kids, like, this is what the one you should be using. I don't know. You know, everything, because like you said, we're all little snowflakes with individual endocannabinoid systems and blue dream works for me, works different for you, just like coffee. Yeah. Yep. No, it's very true. And I'm with you as well on that, Miggy. You know, this year will mark in September 17 years of myself being cancer free. And so that's where a lot of my advocacy comes from. It comes from the heart. Um, and I will tell you that there is a lot more to study, but I will also say if somehow, I mean, knock on wood, but if it ever comes back around to me, I'm taking a flight to Israel. I literally am going to that University of Cannabis and Cancer and going, hey guys, how can you help? Because there are people that know I just think, unfortunately, it's being suppressed by obviously rather large companies that are able to lobby against the exposure and not to get over their profits. Yeah. Well, Terrible. Yeah, Extreme yeah. capitalism is what I call it. And it's, it's a travesty. It really is. Yeah. And everybody's yeah. complaining like, you know, Bernie's going to make us all communists. Really? We have a whole bunch of thugs that are making all the money right now that don't want anything to change. Yeah. And look at how many billionaires there are in the world yeah. today yeah. versus 20 years ago. Yep. But it's like the, the reefer madness war is picking up again, too. Uh, recently, uh, there was a letter from the United States sent to who saying, please don't change your view on uh, cannabis. Uh, there's the, uh, the, 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 the funding that has been, you know, trying to cut medical. You know, there's yep. this revamped reefer madness war on us. And, you know, let's try revolution. Let's try that one crazy whole guy that might want to help everybody. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. And, I, and the who is more so on board than like UNODC. Right. The UNODC, unfortunately, does still have um, I won't call it the Nixon era mentality, but they definitely have the Nancy Reagan. They have the Daryl Gates Dare program mentality. They're still stuck in the 80s. It is unfortunate. But there are some guys with a lot of money. I mean, people don't know. Sir Richard Branson's tied to cannabis. Um, you have some really phenomenal millionaires, both domestically and abroad in places like Australia and the UK that are starting to push money towards this. Again, a lot of that money is going to Israel because they're the leaders. But the fact that there's going to be overwhelming data and support. And, and again, we need it because health is a fundamental right and it is a human race necessity in order for us to look at, I don't mean to, but the pandemic, I mean, that's a perfect example. This is a global issue. This isn't a, a China issue, a US or Russia. It's not segmented by continents or countries. It's going to affect us all. I mean, I'm supposed to go to Spanibus in a few weeks in, in Europe. I'm kind of second guessing it, man. I'd love to go see my international. Friend. It's a great show. It's a great event. I get to see people from literally around the world, but I don't want to come back and, and be quarantined like a guy is 30 minutes away from my house up in Oxnard. That's the weirdest right? thing, though. Like, I mean, I, I think the doctors are even more squeamish and wussy now than they've ever been. And so, like, you see how many people have actually died. And that's like, you know, if you're trusting China's numbers. But at the same time, if we're assuming China's numbers are right, and then you look at history, like the flu from 100 years ago that wipes out 10 million people, and you're like, meh. I mean, you could, in a mother nature thing, right? The bubonic plague, the black plague, there are a lot of things to your point that we could reference. And um, unfortunately it is interesting because I think, again, 
definitely more of a spiritual guy than a religious guy. Disclosure, I grew up in San Francisco. But having said that, you know, Mother Nature has a weird way of, of kind of keeping things in line. Um, but we need to be ahead of it. I mean, because this, some, again, something that's beyond an epidemic. Um, and again, looking to plant science, looking to the fact that there's, I mean, I'm a ginseng and, and echinacea guy and a huge fan of turmeric and, and all these things, because I know I rather those holistic remedies first versus something synthetic. Well, holistic an option no matter what. You know, yeah. cannabis holistic consumption should be my first option, not my go to jail yeah. option. That's yeah. right. Which that is unfortunate about Thailand, just really quick that you know, although they did legalize the medical and they've done a great job. I mean, within they legalized it was uh, around Christmas last year. And then within six months they had the program off the ground. They got hundred and eighty thousand doses out to patients, which is phenomenal. But technically it's still listed lower on the solution. It's not it's not a first. It's not necessarily a last, but it, it's definitely not prioritized as such. But hopefully, again, with additional supporting information, we'll get there. So, yeah. one day. Well, yep. yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. We might have to do a part two. These guys are fun to talk to. I won't lie. Yeah. This <laughs> <laughs> uh, where can we find and follow Bovida? So you definitely follow us. Uh, we're on all the social channels, uh, Bovida Cannabis. Uh, also, obviously, being able to go to bovidainc.com. Um, we're always on the road. We're always at events and trade shows, uh, first and foremost, to educate, but also to sample and, and let people see how this works. We'll be in Spanibus in a few weeks in Barcelona, Spain. We'll also be at Hall of Flowers down in um, Palm Springs, Southern California here. And uh, so, yeah, we'd definitely love to catch up with any of your, your patrons or listeners uh, to get to say hello. Sweet. Great. Thank you so much. And yeah. thanks for tuning in, everyone. Make sure you like and subscribe to keep up with all cannabis legalization news. We'll see you on Sunday for a talk with an activist from Ohio from My Free Ohio. So make sure you tune in for that. We'll see you on Sunday. Later.